Jen Schrader, and this is Behind the Springs, conversations with the people working for you in Colorado Springs, Olympic City, USA. Hi, everyone. We're talking about parks, trails, and open spaces today, and they are such treasures in Colorado Springs and El Paso County. Whether you hike or bike or walk or run or even just picnic in these great spots, we know their value, and they're likely one of the reasons why many of us choose to call this home. So we're going to talk specifically trails today, and we're focusing on the trails that are not part of our city and county park system. So I'm really happy to welcome two guests. I have Scott Abbott, who works for the city. He's our regional parks, trails, and open space manager. Thanks, Scott. And Kyle Melvin works for El Paso County as the assistant park operations manager. Thanks for being here, Kyle. Thank you. Um, we really appreciate you both sharing your expertise. So these trails we're going to talk about, they go by many names, rogue trails. I like to call them rogue trails, but, um, illegal trails, social trails. They're often those popular shortcuts that people take, um, to either get to another trail or to venture into a place where there are no legal trails. And, um, let me start by, uh, asking both of you to tell me the amount that you have. I know you don't know this exact amount, but the general amount of these types of trails you have in city and county parks respectively. So Scott, let's start with city parks. Sure. A lot more than people think, right? Yeah, we really appreciate, uh, that question. And, and sometimes that can be a really moving number and a really hard number to hit, we know for for decades here in Colorado Springs, we've been dealing with social trails. That's been the moniker that that folks have used, uh, you know, for for a long, long time. So we've dealt with this forever. Like I've said, we uh, I, I like to look back at a study we did for Garden of the Gods in the year 2000. So it's right at the the turn of the of the millennium and. When we took a look in the Garden of the Gods, clearly our most popular park, the amount of social trails that were there, according to our study, was 40 miles. Now, those are 40 miles of trails that shouldn't be there. When our designated trail system in the garden is 21 miles of trails. Okay. So it's been a problem for a long, long time in many parks. And we understand that sometimes that's the nature of that exploration type of uh, idea of humans want to go check things out. And we have such amazing parks to go do that. But in order to take care of our parks and make sure that they're protected and, and maintained, we have to get in, do those studies, and then make plans to rehabilitate and take those trails that shouldn't be there kind of away and make sure our parks are taken care of. Okay, so that's one example, one park. So right. miles and miles and miles of trails when Absolutely. you put all of our system together. How about you, Kyle, in the county? So just like Scott, <clears throat> um, you know, we don't have an exact number. Um, social trails have been around, and they've been slowly developed over decades, honestly. So there's a lot of social trails in our parks. It's a very common problem that we have with city parks. You know, you can't distinguish a city park from a county park if you're a citizen. Right. Most, most often. Sure. Right. It's, they're all parks. And you should treat um, them all the same. Right. Yeah, exactly. So what we are doing is when we update our master plan, um, we are going out and we are actually measuring the amount of, we're calling them uh, user-created trails. Because a lot of them, we don't know if somebody built them by hand. You know, if they built them 10, 15 years ago, it's hard to know. Um, a lot of times they're just created by visual type things. So if my house borders a park and, you know, the park is right behind my house, I may take a shortcut and over time mm-hmm. I create a social trail or in, you know, switchbacks or climbing turns, <clears throat> people are tired, they see the vehicle 
you know, rather than taking the turn, they're just going to cut across and go to their vehicle, you know, things like that. Um, but what we've done at recently at Homestead Ranch Regional Park, we're updating the master plan there. We have mapped two miles of social trails there. Now, there's not many good things about social trails, but sometimes they actually make sense. Um, and so in our master plan, we'll consider that. If the trail makes sense, it's a good access point, it's sustainable, it's not causing erosion, you know, impact to wildlife, things like that, we will actually incorporate it as a designated trail. But, oh, my gosh, listen to that list you just made. It's really important, right? Because there are these people, um, I, I mean, I want to be clear with our audience that we're talking about kind of different scenarios here. We're talking about some people that go out, like you said, with actual shovels and tools and create a trail, which is a little bit mind-blowing to me. But I think there are those people that do that. And then there's folks who are just walking along on their trail and they see the illegal trail mm -hmm. and they contribute to that erosion and that issue by taking it, yeah. even though there, it's pretty obvious that I know sometimes it's not, but sometimes it's really obvious when it's an illegal trail, people take it anyway. So there's kind of these two different camps. And there are people who would say and have said actually recently on our social media, I don't like the trails you all have. I want this trail or I want that trail. And the way to do that is not to bring your shovel out and make the trail, right? Because of those things you listed, because of the environmental impacts. Can you talk about that? I mean, just why, I guess why we're intentional when we sit there and make a trail system. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when we factor in a trail system, we try to factor in sustainability. You know, we're trying to stay under 10% slope if possible. Um, we're, we're trying to get people access to points of interest you know, overlooks, water features, rock features, things like that. We're trying to, to make the most, <clears throat> excuse me, out of the land, but not overuse the land. And we're trying to provide some wildlife habitat as well, because a lot of times our parks in these urban areas are wildlife corridors. So if we, if we put trail on every square foot of park, we really distribute or disrupt, you know, wildlife habitat. Um, but yeah, it's that. And then it, one thing we've noticed too is it also increases illegal camping. Yeah. So a lot of these social trails, they lead to areas that aren't monitored as much. And so we have an increased illegal camping in those areas. Um, and then the other thing that doesn't get talked about a lot, we don't maintain social trails. So there's really a safety component that comes into play. Because if I'm on my mountain bike and I'm you know, traveling at a, a fast pace, and I, I go from a system trail to a non-system trail, don't know it, don't realize it, and I'm still moving quick, and I encounter a, you know, some type of erosion or a gully or something like that, it's, it's pretty dangerous. Plus, they're not mapped. Right. So you could get lost. You, there's a lot of different things that people don't think about the impact of social trails. And maintenance is a, is a big part of it. Can you talk about that, Scott, and just the cost of maintenance? Because I know, for example, we're, we're um, planning and doing some improvements in Austin Bluff's open space. I think we have a $250,000 budget there, and twenty five grand is going toward reclamation of these illegal trails, which is frustrating to me as a citizen um, taxpayer because that money could go to other things. Well, and that's an interesting uh, specific park in, in our system. And it is very rare, and this is, a, this is a point that we need to get across, it's very rare that we're able to purchase a piece of property that has not been touched somehow or has been used over time 
then we purchase it or acquire it and we show up and there's already a lot of use that's happened on these properties over time. Mm -hmm. So the master plan process is designed to take a look at all the things that have happened on this property over time, address what's sustainable, what's not sustainable, possibly create some trails that um, kind of satiate everybody's desire to be out in nature and where those trails go. Um, but take away the ones that are causing erosion that are on terrible grades and, and can cause um, issues and environmentally in the future and then begin to work on them, right? So that 25,000 in Austin Bluffs is going to rehabilitate trails that have already been there over time that have been used by a lot of people. That can create an emotional response. And we understand Because that's that. your favorite trail, right? Absolutely. Right. right. Um, and we understand that clearly. Um, but as Kyle said, if we just allow all the trails that have been there, or we don't address the trails that keep popping up due to that rogue use, we basically aren't doing our job at stewarding this land. And I think we could all agree that here in the Pikes Peak region, we are astounded by how much we have that is, is really world-class. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of communities have the amount of unique places that we have our duty to go in there and take care of it the best we can. We understand the emotional part. We understand the need for some sort of extreme excitement. Yes, we try to build those pieces in, but at the end of the day, we still have to care for the land. And sometimes that means taking away some of the things that are, are going to cause some issues in the future. That, that, that are unsafe and all the, yeah, the all list the factors, that he... Yeah. The, so, other, the other important thing too that I think a lot of people don't understand is those costs associated with, was that Palmer Park? Austin Bluffs. Austin Bluffs, sorry. It's coming online. So those 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 trail systems are a little bit easier to access, but when you include an open space like Jones Park open space, mm -hmm. those costs go up way up because of inaccessibility. So those costs could be anywhere. We're we're seeing, you know, around six dollars a foot. That's almost thirty thousand dollars a mile. So that pretty much equates to it is it is just as expensive to decommission a social trail as it is to build a new trail. Right. And so, and, and the takeaway from deferred maintenance, you know, a lot of times we are literally trying to keep restrooms open, you know, and things like that. And so when we have to spend money to correct, you know, liability issues with social trails, it takes away from other things. And right. that's, that's our, probably our biggest concern with these illegal trails or social trails. And that's frustrating, but there may be people listening that say, okay, that, that was my favorite trail that's going away, and I would like to see a trail in this spot or in that spot. How can people get involved? We want to hear their input. I mean, when we do these, these planning processes, it's, it's one of those times when we say, hey, we need, we need to hear from people and, and the users of these parks. So how can they get involved, Scott? Sure. Uh, um, and that's a huge point is to always be keeping tabs on the planning processes that are coming up. That is certainly the time to bring all your ideas, all your thoughts, and largely a lot of times a lot of your emotions around your connectivity with this park. And we do have that. We have people who are just intimately involved with some of these properties. And Austin Bluffs, as you said, is, was a perfect example of that. That property has been used and used and used with no master plan for decades. And the interesting thing, and we hope we can get to this, cost is always an issue, one of the pieces of that master plan is to build, you know, what we were calling in the, the process is a mini incline. I mean, how beloved is the Manitou incline in this community? 
And we have an opportunity in Austin Bluffs because of, hey, we love that extreme piece. We love that challenge in our community. Can we build one here in Austin Bluffs? It's in the master plan. Mm-hmm. Now, trying to get some money raised to, to be able to have that come to fruition, um, is we're still working on that. But that is an example of how we hear from what people want. Right. Try to that wasn't just you behind a curtain going, I want a mini incline, exactly. right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was people saying, that's what we want. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So um, we want to hear what, what works for you and what's your desire for this particular space. Right. And that's the time to, to get all of those ideas out. It's in that master plan process. Once we have that plan in place and it's approved, now it's time for the city to, number one, get in and implement that plan. And a lot of times part of that plan is decommissioning and taking away the other trails that were identified in the plan that will cause those issues in the future. So it's all part of the process to get this plan implemented on the ground. And those master plan processes take a lot of time to implement, many times years. So it's this slow approach to putting the plan in place where a couple years down the road as that plan is still being realized, people don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, uh, it it's really continuous helps. education. And yes, it really helps yeah. to understand what's going on with the planning um, that has already taken place, and we're trying to implement that plan. Yes. Yeah, so being involved in the master plan process is the citizen's voice. A lot of times what we found out is people would like a trail almost wherever they could get one. Right. And so that's where the education piece comes in. And a perfect example is when we decommissioned 667 in Bear Creek Canyon because of the, the um, endangered greenback cutthroat. That was a historical trail, very popular in the biking community because of kind of the extreme nature of the downhill, you know, cycling. Um, and people were, you know, they were upset about that. We had to do that because of the endangered fish. And once people understand all those different components, they're more okay with the reroute, you know? And it's like, look, we're, the area could have been closed altogether. So we're doing the best we can to provide access. It's just we have to meet in the middle and we have to, you know, realign the trail outside of the watershed. Right. And be good stewards at the same time. Just letting people know why we do what we do and the reasons behind it is very helpful. Well, yeah, if they if they know it's not arbitrary and someone just yanking it for the heck of it, because that's never the case. Right. Never the case. Yeah. So so what are some ways um, that people can you know, be good stewards when they're out on the trails, when you, when you see illegal trails, um, and you know, it's tempting to, to go on those shortcuts, but that's really the key is for the everyday user when they're out there to be conscious of sometimes their signage, right? Scott. And I think in County parks as well that tell you keep out, this is an illegal trail. Sometimes there's not, but it's, it's usually obvious. It's usually obvious. Certainly we're not, not always. hitting the mark perfection right. on that all the time. It's it's part of one of our management goals is to get out there and address and close and try to um, discourage folks from going on trails that shouldn't be there. Right. Um, so first and foremost, you should always, and it's leave no trace principle number one, know before you go. Really have an idea of your route ahead of time. So that's stopping at the trailhead, checking out the, the trail maps and going, I'm going to go up here, I'm going to loop around and come back always have an idea of where you're going before you head out. Um, and then when you're out in the, in the property, looking for those trail markers, looking for those signs that the, the management agency is trying to close these trails. There could be debris and some fencing and some signage. So 
using that good judgment of I'm going to stay on my trail, I'm going to stay on track, it's safer that way, it gets you back to the trailhead in, in, a, in a, good, a good amount of time and in one piece. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, avoiding those trails when you can, and then always a good idea too to follow. We have different accounts for El Paso County Parks and for Colorado Springs City Parks on social media. So whatever your, their social media of choices were there, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is, just to keep updated on the closures, on the trail updates, because sometimes there's work going on um, and people get out there and say, oh man, I had this whole idea for a hike and now sure. there's trail work going on. So that's a good way to know before you go as well. And then to plan ahead and, and to have a couple options, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe yes. I always go to my favorite city park, but I haven't tried a county park in a while or mm-hmm. There's a new trail that my family might really enjoy, but it's just it's just making that plan. Yeah, and, and everybody's on their phones nowadays, so there's tons of trail apps. They're not all perfect, but I've looked at you know the apps for our parks, and they're pretty close. Mm-hmm. So that's another good resource. Look, like Scott, that's the most important thing is plan before you go. Know where you're going. Have a route identified. If you have any questions, you know, call our office. Ask the question. But use technology, use the apps, um, know where you're going before you get out there. And speaking of app, I like to plug our app, the GoCOS app, and that's a good one to use, Scott, if people are in city parks and open spaces and on trails and see anything that needs attention. Really any issues, you know, uh, aside from, you know, illegal trail building or trail usage, it's really anything that is, you know, somewhat suspicious suspicious or kind of looks out of place. I mean, we have certainly a number of issues. And so that app is always there for people to kind of raise their voice, ask a question and say, Hey, you know, I've I've seen this. Can you look into this? Especially if they're uncomfortable confronting someone that, you know, they can just report it. Don't, you know, don't get into it on the trail if they don't want to. And that's an easy way to do it. It's well said. Okay. And County has the same thing. So, um, there's so many choices out there, you know, and it's just, it's a good problem to have, right? If it's a great problem to have. And it's, it's something that is, um, in land management agencies, uh, thoughts all the time is how do we keep caring for this land? And and that's what we're doing. That's what you're seeing. That's why this voice is being raised that hey, community, please help us take care of these places. We want them to be here for a very long time. Right. Um, and it's our duty. Um, we've hired passionate, professional natural resource specialists. These are career-minded folks, and their passion goes into taking care of this so we can provide it to everyone else. So and it's really I, a balance of trying to get people on board with, and this is how we do this. Yes, and I want to point out the fact that you're both physically sitting here, that city and county are on the same page on this. It's an important enough issue that you all want to come together and talk about it, and get the word out. And we've also partnered with U.S. Forest Service. Is that correct? That's yes. Correct. And getting yep. this message out too, because they're in the same boat. Right. Yeah. yeah. A lot of times our properties, you know, join each other. Right. So it's, it's very important to get the message out across all three entities, you know, and from the, the county perspective, the Citizen Connect, um, that is the equivalent of the, the Colorado Springs app. Okay. And so when you're, when you access that app or that website, you can actually, you can submit pictures, you can drop a pin, you know, you can show us exactly where it is. And we appreciate it because a lot of times they are our eyes and ears right. um, because we're not a- always able to get out into these remote open spaces as often as we'd like to. Yeah. And Why can't you be huge... everywhere, guys? Come on. <laughs> There's just not you, enough of I us. I know. I know. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Too many open spaces. Yeah. Isn't, aren't we lucky? 
Never too many open spaces. I know. <laughs> right. I think that's why we live here. So. That's our product. That's why we're all here. <laughs> that's, exactly that's why we all love it. So that is a reminder. And that's really the focus of the podcast today is really um, being grateful for these open spaces and being good stewards. So we encourage you, um, you know, to let us know on social media if you have any specific questions or you need more information about those apps and ways to report and right. um, ways to be good stewards and ways to give input. We're happy to share those with our folks. So Thank you both for your expertise and for all the work you do in our beautiful spaces. Thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate you giving us the time. We really appreciate it. And thank you so much for listening to Behind the Springs. Please rate this podcast, share it with your best buddy. Tune in next time for another great conversation. And thanks so much for being a fan for Behind the Springs.